0: With great data comes even greater access latency. Welcome to the Trino community broadcast, where we transform your latency woes into fast insights. The Trino community broadcast is a show where we cover events and happenings in the open source Trino community and show off a couple cool things about Trino. Manfred, what's going on this week?
1: Uh, what's going on? We are, we are, we are playing with icebergs <laughs> <laughs> and we have a, a, and we have an onerous guest again, which is awesome. Dave David is joining us, one of the founders of the. Presto slash Trino project and all around insanely uh, good coder and everything. So it's going to be super great. Welcome, David. Thank you. So, uh,
0: so- yeah. So, I mean, let's do a quick overview. I mean, we're, we're talking about Iceberg today, so we'll, we'll jump into what Iceberg is for those of you who aren't familiar. Uh, it's, you know sneak peek, it's basically kind of uh, something that could be an alternative for your, your, your current hive uh, or data lake uh, uh, setup. And so um, so we'll, we'll get into the nitty gritty of that here in a second. Um, we're we're going to cover uh, PR of the week that originally brought that to Trino and uh, as well as uh, kind of how it slowly made its way in. Uh, look at the status of where we're at with it. Um, really cool news for the next show following this one is we actually have uh, Ryan Blue. Uh, he is the creator uh, of of Iceberg. Is he the sole creator, David? I think he's the. I Believe so. Yeah, I think I think it, it was initially just him, and and he was kind of advocating that at Netflix, and then it. Again, uh, uh, we'll get into more of the specifics here in a little bit, but uh, but yeah, so Ryan Blue will be joining us uh, in the next two weeks. Um, So that's pretty exciting. And we're going to be first covering kind of iceberg from a a Trino user perspective in in this week's episode. Um, And then we're going to try to more move kind of like iceberg as a project and uh, and try to, you know, kind of get a little more of the history around it when Ryan comes on uh, next week. So really looking forward to that. And um, and so get ready to learn about this awesome project. Um, And then, yeah, we're going to we have a fun little. I wouldn't say it's April Fool's demo. It's not really fooling anybody, but it's just a really quirky little uh, thing we're doing with ice, an iceberg uh, physics. Uh, Simulation. (laughs) So we'll we'll get to that here in a second. It's gonna be
1: Trino or Iceberg. Who is gonna win? (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) I'm pretty sure we know who. But uh, anyways, uh, yeah, Manfred, do you want to let's? We're we're trying a new a couple different approaches to uh, how we advertise uh, our sponsor, which is uh, our employers as well, uh, Starburst. And so, uh, Manfred, do you want to lead us into that? Uh, Yeah, sure.
1: But before we do that, I wanna I wanna mention something like. Check out our bunny army now. <laughs> like, we have two background <laughs> pictures. We have two T-shirts. There's Trino and bunnies everywhere. Also, on, the for the win. Uh, we're getting awesome.
0: we're getting these uh, coming out as well. We have Trino stickers for your uh, for your laptop swag. So if you want that, or if you want the one that's matching David's shirt right here. Has oh, little awesome. moons on it so so yeah so uh we will be talking about uh, a couple events that we have coming up uh, as well and then you, you can get some of this shirt or the shirt that david's wearing or some of these stickers at these events too so look forward to that but uh anyways back to you man yeah.
1: yeah let's roll into it so the first uh, thing i wanted to mention is um last time we had a really fancy marketing video and we listened to your feedback so this time we're doing something completely dope. Different. uh also talking about starburst just a little bit um so um and you again of course get to tell us if you like this kind of format more so instead of talking about starburst enterprise and so in uh, starburst i'm just going to talk about what i've been up to at starburst since i joined uh in 2019 and that is i started with learning a lot about presto and trino i knew about it before already but um yeah the the level that i'm at now is not comparable to where i was about like what two years ago Mm -hmm. Um, and i ended up writing the press to the definitive guide that i took over from matt and martin and with the help of Dane, david and all the other really cool people at starburst that all like are very deeply involved and love trino as a project uh, got that book out with o'reilly that was awesome and that also got me started for hanging out on uh, on Slack, helping many many Trino users, also on Stack Overflow, um, and then one of the first initiatives around um, development was uh, a major reaching on how we build Starburst Enterprise. Um, very te- technical, from like moving over from like a lot of Git cherry picking and Git commits moving around and stuff like that to a more of an extension mechanism, and that of course got me to learn a lot about how the Trino releases are working. So. Um, as you know, Starburst Enterprise is basically Trino on steroids, um, which includes it's it's a distribution that we make at Starburst. It has more connectors, it has deployment tools such as Kubernetes support, uh, auto scaling, Amazon CFT support. We even have a SaaS now that's coming up soon called Starburst Galaxy. Um, lots of security enhancements and so on. And so we support that very well. And of course, um, I write the documentation. So I'm. I'm Writing a lot of the documentation for Starburst Enterprise, but also a lot of documentation for Trino itself, of course, since it's our core engine, right? So uh, the normal connectors that come with Trino um, and all that kind of stuff is written. So I learned the contribution process, working very closely with David, of course, on a lot of that documentation stuff, since he's like really the champ for that. And we now have a small team of writers, all of whom are working on Starburst documentation for Starburst Enterprise, but also client tools. So if you go to, for example, docs.starburst.io, you find we have this website of documentation that's on different personas and you find tips such as like how to use um Beaver with Trino and with Starburst Enterprise. So that helps you as a Trino user just as much as if you are uh, a Starburst Enterprise user. And we have a lot of those kind of things happening. So it's it's a really, really fun thing. I ended up actually, for example, also contributing the Trino support for Deep Beaver. So there's a lot of things we do, um, generally helping the community a lot. Um, of course, I was also involved in the rename then last year, end of last year, early this year, where we renamed the broadcast and renamed the website and mm-hmm. figured out uh, the mascot. And we've been working with awesome people like Brian as well, where we're doing a lot of cool work, including what we're doing today. So um, if you want to be part of that, of course, we're always hiring. And if you want to be our customers, we love our customers and we help you everywhere we can. And so that's it really. So nice. I I hope you uh, will join us on this wild ride that is getting uh, Starburst Enterprise and Starburst Galaxy everywhere um, and accessing your data that you weren't able to access easily with all the SQL command and all the standard tools that that you love already from way back when you were stuck in a relational database only.
0: Yep, totally. Well, that's
1: that's our advertisement, and now we're gonna go right into what we did last week or whatever, and that is 354 got out. Let me pull it up.
0: I'm pulling it up right now. Give me a second. (laughs) There we go. Uh, This is the Iceberg Connector. Give me like, I... I was like, oh, yeah, after this comes, <laughs> comes comes another
1: release. Remember, Brian, every two weeks, yes. it's like clockwork. <laughs> sometimes we are a bit too early. Sometimes the project is a bit too early, so we have to, like, fudge a bit. But um, 350 Core came out again, and there was a good motivation to ship it uh, rather quickly because we found a little um, edge case or more or less also common case uh, because in the Hive connector, there was some acid... Transaction work for delete and update that could cause data loss potentially a little bit. Um, That's what really motivated us us to get this release out. But of course, if you look at our developers, they're just like ripping into things all over the place. So there's lots of good things happening. So what did we ship? Martin's list was a short four items. Um, Support for OAuth 2 in the CLI came. So there's this external uh, authentication flag that allows you to um, basically what happens is when you log in with like when you start the CLI it will pop up a URL from which you do your OAuth2 token and then it gives in that token you then use in the CLI and so you can uh, use the OAuth2 that's typically browser-based also in the CLI. The memsql or single store connector got upgraded to 3.2 and then there's push down for order by limit for memsql, mysql, and sql server, so some of the core JDBC servers. And then the last one that Martin mentioned was um, time p, so the high precision time support in the sql server. Hmm. That's what Martin mentioned. Only four. He's always very, very, like modest. <laughs> that's just how Martin rolls. Uh, lots more stuff was was happening, in my opinion. So there's like left, right, and full join ha- uh, had some performance improvements on specific cases where there's only one uh, record returned on the one side of the join. Um, the whole preferred right partitioning is now on by default. So um, that's uh, a good performance enhancement in many aspects.
2: Um, Yeah, that lets you write. uh, If you're writing to a lot of partitions, uh, previously you might get an error that there was too many open writers. And now it should be able to automatically detect uh, which case, like if you're writing a lot, if you're writing a few, it can figure that out from table stats automatically.
1: Oh, very Yeah, and of course the table stats are required for that, but they are in the Hive Connector where it's the most common tool to write in that sort of thing, right? Um, So which is, it's really cool.
0: That also Um, goes in tandem with uh, uh, something else that got released in the last one or maybe the one before that where we were actually enabling it if you did, did want to use it with a glue with glue we also support glue stats now. So
1: yeah, yeah there's also an improvement around that in the hive connector where there was some glue metadata and CSV mismatch um, that came. Uh, The hive connector also had Avro format improvements again and then that that asset fix. Um, Another one thing that I found is just a small line but it's actually kind of cool because. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is more common and you would, you would know better Brian, but on the Elasticsearch connector, there was a fix brought in where if there is an array return that has one element that, that used to bust out. Um, yeah, yeah I it, don't...
0: it's, it's like, a it's one of those weird things where like elastic has their, their very interesting, like kind of model on, on everything is technically internal, like internally at the, uh, internals of, of, of elastic which is just Lucene everything is kind of represented as an array. Uh, and so you, when you put something in there, if it's a single value, uh, you, it ultimately gets like a single value of a, like a, of a one, one array of size one, basically. So then when you get that return to you, if you just send in that single value, what Elasticsearch does is it actually takes a, like a, a snapshot or, or kind of like saves the JSON that you submitted to actually uh, submit that document and it returns the exact same way that you submitted it, even though internally it's, it's an array, it gets submitted or it gets returned as a single value. So when we like, assumed that something was an array, if it came back as a single value, we were parsing it incorrectly. So it was, a, it was actually a pretty easy fix, very small, small fix, but uh, yeah, it was just something that we had missed and didn't have in some of the initial testing.
1: So. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that happens pretty commonly. It so is. It's ridiculous. It's, it's <laughs> small but very useful, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, Iceberg, of course, which we're going to talk about much more later, had uh, date and timestamp improvements, which is always useful. There's some uh, backward incompatible changes there, but um, since Iceberg is a micro like is uh, in- innovating very very fast, that's kind of important to stay up to date with it anyway. Um, And then there are a bunch of fixes in uh, MySQL, PostgreSQL, Redshift, and SQL servers um, that are different for them, uh, but then there's also one that is a fix for the create schema uh, command usage that's in all of them Mm. because there's like a base JDBC driver underneath, so all of them benefit from those improvements. Nice. That's what I found useful and like, you know, there's always more if you look in detail at the release notes
2: I can split the the iceberg change is kind of interesting. Uh, there was a previous bug in, um, iceberg itself and how it would uh, calculate, uh, partitions values incorrectly for timestamps before 1970, uh, which is because 1970 is a Unix epoch and that's, um, zero. And so timestamps before that are negative. And, uh, um, when you do division, it was going, it was going the wrong way. Yeah. And so. They actually, they fixed it um, and it made it backwards compatible so that new versions of Iceberg can read old versions of data. Um, but unfortunately, uh, if you write new, if you write data using the, the the fixed version, old versions won't, might read it incorrectly. But most people don't use timestamps before 1970 anyway, so it's, you're unlikely to hit it. But if you're, if you upgrade Trino, um, upgrade Iceberg as well, if you're using like Spark or Hive with it.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm curious. Did, did we? And we are using uh, Intrino now. Are we at eleven with that change? Yeah. And on, on Iceberg. Okay. Yeah, because I know we were like on nine for a while, and then I guess this this called to us to make sure that we we had the the latest. So that's that's currently the latest version of Iceberg uh, that's that's out there right now. So that's pretty good. Yeah.
2: And I'm actually the one who found that bug in Iceberg because I had to reimplement the partitioning in Trino, so um, so it it works efficiently in the Iceberg connector. And as I was writing test cases for it, I included test cases for those like 1965 kind of values. Yeah. And then I found this and boarded it to the Iceberg Project. Nice. And then Ryan Ryan uh, originally thought that there wasn't a good way to fix it. Um, uh, but then he figured out that there was a, a clever way to do it. And it was actually easier to just fix it than to like update the spec to talk about these weird edge cases. So. No, it's just fixed. So,
0: so for things like that, you know, so we had th- this is something we're going to get into a lot more in the next uh, Iceberg episode. But I-, I do, you know, we, we are going to talk about this this spec that that Iceberg has. And so, this is kind of something that anybody, like hypothetically, if you wanted to reimplement Iceberg in your own way, you know, uh, you which which we do, but <laughs> but uh, in-, in some ways. So, if you wanted to like actually reimplement Iceberg in your own way, like you would be able be able to look at the spec and be, and say, okay, we need to like make sure that we adhere to these guidelines whenever we are, uh, developing our system. So, uh, where, for something like this, is there at least like a, Hey, this is a gotcha. Like, you know, miss, if you're implementing this system, like where would you put that kind of information? Would that just, that solely exist in the iceberg implementation or, or is there some like kind of call or a reason it should go into the spec?
2: Uh, maybe something like that you could have a note about how to implement it or maybe like kind of a sample code about the the proper way to implement Mm. those those partitioning functions Um, i actually learned about this from uh martin because when martin did uh precision timestamp support in trino Mm.
0: um
2: we had to like re-implement basically all the timestamp code and then i learned about some i actually made the same bug in code where I, i was doing uh division incorrectly, that wouldn't work for negative epoch values. And Martine spotted it in code review. So mm. then I was working on the iceberg code. I found that exact same bug in the iceberg library code. <laughs>
0: and a light came on in your head and <laughs> a, a Martine shaped light. <laughs> nice.
2: Very cool. So anything
1: else about 354, David, that we should chat, chat about? Or should we, should uh, Brian dive into iceberg?
2: I can't think of anything else. Awesome.
0: Cool. So, uh, so I wanted to first show off our cool. We're, we're making basically getting into this pattern now, where we're just gonna be making probably anytime we cover a connector that we haven't covered on this show, uh, we we've asked Ali to to make these cute little representations of Commander Bun Bun with uh, with some representation of our of our um, uh, basically our our uh, the, the, what the connector is. So in this case, iceberg, we have. Commander Bun-Bun in a little penguin suit hanging out on, uh, ice, Iceberg. And this just made me think of like March of the Penguins. So that's why this episode's <laughs> title is I- Iceberg March of the Trinos. <laughs> so, um, we'll get into a little joke that, uh, uh, Manfred and I realized about the shape of this ice, iceberg later, but, uh, and to, and, and we'll and of course include these on the show notes so you can play around with this stuff yourself. But before I do that, let's, let's jump right into the concept of the week. So, uh, so we're talking about Apache Iceberg, uh, it's, it's a table format. And so uh, a lot of times when we, we've had just confusion around table formats for the longest time, even before take out Iceberg out of this whole scenario, like we get one of the most common questions. And, and like one of the very first questions that I came to answer uh, when I became a developer advocate in the Trino community was like, there's so much confusion around like wh- why we call the hive connector the hive connector because we don't actually use hive on the back end. And so what we're actually the reason why we actually call the hive connector what we call it is actually the fact that we're using the hive table format uh or you know or you can call it the hive specification. But the most annoying part about the hive specification is it's not really a specification. It's kind of an unsung or, or kind of unspoken agreement that has kind of existed only in code and maybe only in, you know, random uh, exchanges on on the forums of like Hortonworks or something like that, where, you know, you talk to the engineers that have implemented these things and, and they, they basically say, Oh yeah, no, no, this is how it actually works. And you're like, Oh, well, how would I have known that? Well, it's not written down anywhere. It's just, you would have had to have seen the code, or or have been in the art, you know, in the design discussion, or or randomly found the uh, the correct uh, pull request or uh, or issue that that related to that. In order for you to actually figure out that you know the hive hive is particularly uh, uh, you know behaving this way. And I know David has a lot. I mean, David, do you do you have any experience like you know that you could kind of just you could probably have a million experiences actually just recalling this, but like you know, can you give a couple examples of just kind of the, the pains that, that using the hive model actually brings.
2: (laughs) uh, Well, when we first started working on it, we actually had to do like the whole hive connector was like reverse engineering hive, like look at the metastore, look at the files, figure out like how it all works and like basically write a compatible implementation of it. Uh, and then it's actually, and it's also a moving specification. Um, it's like originally, um, buckets and hive, they had to be a single file. And so like, we, we would detect that. And if you had, you know, multiple, if you didn't have the right number of files for the buckets, you'd error out. Hmm. And then later they added support for that. And then we had to go back and then that was like news to us. Cause it was just like some, you know, JIRA that went into hive. And then <laughs> like a couple of years later, people were complaining that their stuff didn't work and we're like, well, what do you mean? You can have multiple files per bucket. And yeah. Like, oh, okay. We'll, we'll go implement it now.
0: Yeah. And then there was like transactions. Is that, that was, is that talking about transactions right there? Like you're talking about delta oh, files? Mean, or that was tra- a
2: transactions are are uh, e- even worse because like they basically <laughs> completely changed the hive model. They were like a bolt on to the metastore that um Hortonworks did. I mean, and it's it's good, it solves like a, a real problem that people had, yeah. but it's super complicated. There's no specification for it really. It's not documented like that. Was also like tons of reverse engineering. I mean, we even went as far as like uh we'd run hive queries against, you know, that were like talking to the MetaStore. And we used Wireshark to like dump the thrift requests going to the Hive Metastore and like look at what they were actually doing to like perform like an insert operation. Like, well, for this operation, exactly what sequence of Metastore calls, exact Metastore calls do you make to make this work? Like that's what we had to do to implement Hive apps and support.
0: That's insane. Yeah. Like I, I was always one of those engineers that was just like, painlessly at the mercy of of like whatever engineer i could get a hold of on HortonWorks that Mm -hmm. happened to know the right thing (laughs) because i just i i at the time when we were working on this stuff like that that just wouldn't have crossed my mind and so many engineers ran into this thing just constantly asking questions on on what you know and, and unanswered questions usually that that you'd see on these forums and uh and sometimes you know you would you would be like you'd see an answer and you'd be like why is this not working in mine oh i have this kind of particular like HTTP version where that was answering it for the cloudera version and (laughs) so it's you had all sorts of weird issues like this so yeah it's it's a lot of a lot of pain and and uh, that that engineers have have had to kind of go through not having a a spec like this so that's a hint to what we're going to see with iceberg here but I want to keep going in and talking more specifics about like uh, you know so so there's a hive table format it has this unspoken kind of way that it works and anybody who's implementing it or using it really has to kind of understand this to really actually be able to to use hive at all um and so uh so there there are some basic you know typical use cases that that were at least somewhat uh socialized enough where you could use partitioning pretty well you could use like uh, this is the basic use cases of using different formats and things like that. But but there were m- when you got into real like specific use cases where, you know, especially when that, you know, you wanted to in- involve transactions or any type of acid uh, functionality over your data, lake, you were kind of like really, really stuck <laughs> and really depending on what version you had, hoping hoping that there was either documentation or some sort of uh, information out there to, to understand what was going on. So, um, so, you know, Hive though, while, while we can bash on it all we want, like it did set out some sort of a format and it, it paved some ways to, to actually, you know, making us think of how do we actually salt, start tackling these problems of of you know running SQL queries over these big data lakes or these big data stores. So we can't totally just you know uh, we don't want to throw total, total stones at Hive. I mean, it's it ha- it's it's uh, it's the legacy. It's kind of where things came from. But then we needed something new for probably long overdue time. And so um, so Ryan, who we're gonna have on in the next few weeks. Uh, you know, he, he was dealing with these same issues back at Netflix and uh, basically just wanted a, a, an alternative way to kind of solve these problems. And in fact, there were more than just the problems of, you know, how do I, you know, uh, set up these partitions? But there's there's other issues where, you know, if I if I want to, um, you know, partition my data in one way uh, in the very beginning, let's say you start off and you're partitioning your data by by month. And so that means that you know, data gets kind of written to a specific directory for one month, and then it creates a new directory and writes it into that directory for a month of, let's say today, you know, you're writing this month, it's April. If you were writing the data yesterday, uh, it's, um, it's, it would be writing to the March bucket or in the March partition. Uh, and so when, uh, when this change would happen, you know, that's fine. Okay, but what happens if I, if I start getting uh, more data? And all of a sudden, the data is like kind of accumulating too much for a month. Well, now I want to start actually partitioning it by, by maybe week or maybe by day. Or if I maybe somewhere down the road, you know, I I want to start partitioning my data in, in more finer granularities because you know we're, our company's really pick, picking up, and now we want to just uh, get to a, a much finer granularity. We have you know a, a lot of customers now, so uh, so that is really uh the in the hive model basically what you would have to do is you would have to say okay we're changing everything now we're going to create a new table we're going to partition it now by day and you start writing new data to that table and that's fine but what about your old data well now you have two tables to represent the same concept or re- represent represent the same data store so you have to then take the data from your old data, old table, and migrate that into the new uh, uh, table. And this is something that, in, you know, data engineers were doing pretty much on a, I would say, at least, uh, you know, monthly or weekly basis. Uh, this is just, you know, typically how you had to do things in a data lake, and it was a pain. Further than that, like, you know, Hive has all of these uh, kind of Hive. Hive was built to run on a file system. And so Hive has a lot of uh, these needs to basically, it, 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 it tracks everything at, at, a, at a directory level. It doesn't track uh, files individually. So if you have like, you know, a partition and it's, you know, writing all the data for March, you probably have a lot of smaller files, uh, maybe orc files just sitting inside that partition and you're trying to read through them. And by the way, if a lot of this doesn't make sense, we have a episode, uh, uh, I think is episode five, and I have it linked in the show notes. Um, you can go back to that episode to kind of learn more specifics about what we're talking about with this high partitioning stuff. Um, I'm just going to assume that you know it, so check that out if you if you if, not, if the stuff I'm talking about doesn't make sense. But um, anyways, the if you are writing and you have all these like files sitting inside this partition, um, and you you know Hive needs to basically find, or find that, that directory where the, all these are located. And in order to find the actual files you need, it needs to list all of those files. And you could have hundreds, thousands of org files sitting in there, depending on how your, data's, uh, your, your data uh, uh, ingestion is set up. And so uh, this could end up becoming quite a, an expensive operation. And depending on how many times you have to do it, it can happen quite frequently so as you kind of start filling up with a lot of these files in your in your directories hive hive querying ended up being pretty dang slow and what's even worse is if you have like a really small amount of data that you actually need in there you're you're running a relatively simple query and yet you have to list all these files and do all these uh, extra things it's just it's it's not performant at all so, uh, so we, we've kind of gone through, like, there are plenty of disadvantages. Uh, I'll, I'll go over one last one, <laughs> um, schema evolution. Uh, if you, you know, there, there were, uh, in the old days of, of Hive, there just was no schema evolution. You basically just had to write a new table. In Hive 2.0 something or other uh, and, and so on, I think it was like early versions of Hive 2, uh, 2.x, they started kind of making it to where you can add columns pretty easily. Um, you, I can't remember in what point they started allowing you to delete columns, but it was in this kind of like very odd, like I can't remember what it was right now. Do, do you remember, David, like when when these what? things were in, introduced and like what what the exact thing, like I think you could delete it but you had you so couldn't the, rename it you couldn't use a column with the same name or something.
2: So it actually depends on the file format. So okay. the original hive formats were like text. think of them like CSV, you've just got columns and yeah. so the only thing you could do was you could add new columns because yeah. if you move if you removed a column, well like just think of it as like uh, you've got like your labels for your CSV columns and you just like delete one of the labels and that shifts the labels over. That's mm-hmm. what moving a column would be. so now like yeah. all, now your old data is all mixed up. Yep. So all you could ever do is like add columns to the end. You could never remove columns. Yeah. Uh then formats like Orc and Parquet came out, which could do resolution by name. Yeah. So now you could uh reorder the columns, you could um add or remove them because all the resolution was by name instead of like by position. Right. Uh but you could never rename a column because yeah. if you renamed it, you'd you'd either read the wrong data or you would just lose it.
0: Yep. Totally. Yeah. So, so they started at in, including that, especially when Orc was like really taking off as well. Like I think that was one of the big, big drivers, like Orc was initially made, uh, within the hive project and kind of spun out on onto its own, uh, uh, project. And, uh, but, but at the same time, like that drove a lot of innovation for, for Hive and how they were handling these specific types of issues. Uh, but yeah, as, as David mentioned, I remember rename was, was always a problem and you couldn't name something that you had previously, like, let's say you named something, you know, Bob or something like that. at some column, Bob, you could never rename another column, Bob, you know? And, and so Bob was just, if, if, unless you wanted to recreate a whole new table, like we said before that that's always the fallback, you know, if you need to have that, that table or that, uh that same table, but with the name, Bob, you need to just create a brand new table, move all the data over again, and then start back fresh. You know, like that was the, that was the catch all like solution to, to doing anything, any updates to your schema evolution. So as a final note, like that, that is, uh, and then this isn't even like the, the, the finisher of, of all the things that, that are getting fixed by the way, but that is one of the other big, like painful things that you had to always deal with, uh, when dealing with hive tables. So, Ryan was dealing with these problems in in Netflix and so really excited to hear about the specific type of problems that he was facing when he was just like you know what <laughs> I'm just going to I'm going to do something about this you know because it's like all these pains just kind of add up over time and, and it's been long overdue that that we've had uh, some, some team or, 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 somebody kind of step up to the plate. And I'm so happy that, that, uh, that, that the folks that are working on this project are doing what they're doing and, and really, uh, appreciative to, to Ryan to, um, setting this up because it's really exciting stuff that, and solves so many problems across such a, a wide spectrum of, of engineers now that, you know, like data, big data and data engineering is just a growing space. Data analytics is growing. And so this is only going to become more of a problem if somebody didn't, you know, make this, uh, put the stake in the ground and say, okay, let's fix these, these problems. So iceberg is the table format. And so, uh, one, one thing that they're very adamant about, like making sure that people don't get confused is like, it is not a, a open source file format like ORC or Avro or Parquet. It's, it's a, it's an open table format. And so this gets into how the, the stuff that David and I have been talking about in this last part is, how do you manage, how do you um, actually uh, structure your data and structure the metadata around it so that I can run a SQL query and it's gonna be fast I can I can basically uh, have an evolving model of how I model the partitions on this data, how, how data split up. I can model uh, the schema and update the, that schema how I like as things move forward. And I don't have to basically do this whole crazy operation of create a brand new table when I need to add some field or rename some field or do something. And I need to move it from you know A to B now, and just do all this expensive operation for for practically nothing other than I need to I need to add a field you know or n- rename a field or something. So Iceberg is is a table format that is solving all these problems that we've we've enumerated and and more than just that it, it adds a lot of really cool things like uh, the way that they've they set this up. So I have this visual here, and I'm going to try to articulate it as best I can in voice. <laughs> so you basically have these manifest files. These manifest files, uh, in in this table format, are kind of taking over what what used to be in the Hive metastore. So, and you know, previous times you would have all these this Hive metastore data, and they it's just basically pointers to the directories that Hive needs to go look for to find your data. What these manifest files are doing is they are actually taking all the information about these different files. And they hold all that information in, in, inside them. They're, they're Avro files, by the way, if you're, if you're curious to kind of uh, dig into them. So you, you basically have this Avro file that holds all this metadata about the files that they're pointing to. So you get this big list of, of manifest files that are pointing to a, a list of files, by the way. Manifest files point to multiple data files. Then you have uh, basically uh, one manifest that has multiple data files. Uh, a, a, a layer above it, you can say that uh, there are these other manifest files that are called manifest lists, and they basically point to a list of different manifests. So, so think about like you have a data file ABC, and that is one manifest file is pointing to that ABC data file. Um, and these are these are all you know A.org, B.org, C.org, or something like that, and then you have another manifest file. That is pointing to x.org, y.org, z.org, and and there it's a whole separate uh, set of files. These could be these files could be anywhere, by the way. Like we we're not saying that these exist in, under the same directory. We're not saying they just they just exist somewhere in your in your file storage, and so uh, either file storage or, or or file system. And so um, so so these you have these different manifests pointing to these different data files, and then you have a a manifest list, which is just another manifest file that points to multiple manifest files. And the reason why you want this manifest list is occasionally, you uh, or basically what Iceberg wants to support here is they want to uh, be able to support a feature called snapshotting, where I can take a look at what my current data is, uh, and uh, I can basically say, hey, take a list of all the manifest files that I currently have. In, uh, in, my, in my system right now and just make a list of those. And I'm gonna say this is, sna- this is a snapshot and I'm gonna call it snapshot zero. And so snapshot zero, zero points to a manifest list. And this is just a list of manifests that also point to a list of data files. And so I'm saying that this manifest list represents this snapshot at this point in time. Then I add data, I add new, I maybe update the schema, I maybe change all these different things. Um, and all of this now are, are, are being recorded in these immutable manifest files that get added on. And basically, if I want to take another snapshot, I'll make another manifest list and call that snapshot pointing to that manifest list. Uh, and now it's going to point to a different set. So in this diagram, uh, that, that people on the podcast won't be able to see, we basically have a two snapshots that we're, we're talking about. And one snapshot is pointing to only the first two manifest files that are pointing to a set of data files. And then later on a new manifest file gets added and it has a new set of data files. And so, uh, um, by the way, check this out in the show notes, if you, if you are on the podcast, um, so the snapshot one will point to a new manifest list that, that points to all three manifest files versus snapshot zero only contains the first two. So this is where if you want to kind of look in uh, what your data or basically take a snapshot in time and see what your the state of your data was at that particular time, you can use the previous snapshots. And what's amazing is you can actually decide, Hey, I didn't actually want to add that new data. That data was corrupt or that data, we we need to reprocess that data. So I can go back in in time and basically do this thing called time traveling and now move back to an older version of, of, uh, of my data. And I could basically just reprocess the data all over again and get rid of that snapshot that I created at one point. So um, so it's, it's incredible what extra things, not even just that they're addressing these ability to do schema evolution and, uh, and, and, and handle all of these crazy, crazy, uh, uh, like things like separating out, uh, and this is another one I haven't talked about, hidden partitioning. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second and I'll, I'll let David kind of run into that. Cause I know he, that's one of his favorite parts. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, they, they also just have this extra layer of, of ability to kind of version your data. It's like, almost like Git for, you know, Git for your, your, um, your data lake. And it's, it's just incredible. Um, on top of all this, you know, speaking of like kind of Git, sometimes, you know, when you think about data lakes, a a lot of uh, requirements around data lakes are that you do have this acid capability the same way that hive was adding that in. So, um, so this also does support, you know, these, this, um, this acid transactionality that, that uh, is, is much desired. So, uh, I'm going to take a step back here now and kind of let David fill in anything or correct me on anything. I may have gotten wrong in that little explanation. Cause he's, he's more of the expert on, on iceberg. I'm still a noob. <laughs> well,
2: that was a great explanation. Um, So one thing this uh, lets you do, like you get acid semantics for uh, like read and write queries. So you can have a query that's reading from snapshot zero. It might be a long running query because there's a lot of data. And then someone else comes along and they want to insert data. And the person reading the data with snapshot zero, uh, they will see a consistent view of the data. They won't see any of the partially inserted data that's being written by the new query. And uh, and then when it commits and you've got a new snapshot one, then the next query that comes in will read the new snapshot and we'll see um, a consistent view of all the data that was just written. Whereas in Hive, if you're updating say like five partitions, somebody could be running a long running query and they might see part of the data as it's being written, but not all of it. Yeah, um, and that and, and that can make you return a, like inconsistent or wrong results.
0: That's so
1: cool. So so, so so snapshots are written all the time then basically
2: like quite regularly. Hmm. Yeah, every query that writes data um, creates writes a, new a new snapshot. snapshot. Okay, well,
0: I can't. You can also change that functionality, right? You can you can kind of tune how that works. I believe I've seen a couple
2: things about it, but probably not. So, quite. so uh, like snapshots, um, you, you you always write a new snapshot for uh, data that's being written. Like that's just like the fundamental um, transaction model in iceberg. Uh, okay. But what you can tune is how long the old snapshots are kept around for. Because like if you don't do anything, all the old snapshots will live forever. So even though you're deleting data, it won't exist in the latest version of the snapshot, but it still exists in the file system because the old snapshots are pointing to it.
0: Right, right. Uh, right. And then
2: you can run like uh, a compaction or a garbage collection process that will prune down or delete the old snapshots to, uh, and then allowing you to free up the physical space on, on the file storage.
0: Very cool. And and we we just go. I think in general, we pre- at this point especially, we, we we've pretty much stuck with most of iceberg defaults, right? We're just if I think our our typical thing I've seen that that I've seen in, in comments was if we have a disagreement with how something's done, we try to see if it's something that should be changed in the defaults or the spec with iceberg before we actually change it on our end. Yeah, that's correct. Cool.
2: And today in um, Trino we don't have any we don't have that compaction or garbage collection process um, mm-hmm. so you need to do that uh, using Spark with the uh, the iceberg commands. Very cool.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to say that's one thing that that we could even maybe get into a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I've noticed there's been a lot of work, particularly I see a lot of overlap with like Spark and their support for for iceberg. So I'd say like we're is if somebody's trying to kind of come in and decide, you know, uh, where where do I use things? Like, is is Spark kind of like more, like a, I guess a better a better use case for like maybe ingestion and getting things like kind of more typical uh, 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 ingestion and uh, management interactions? And then if you're still wanting to use Trino to kind of do federated queries, then we would be more of just kind of. We're we're mainly focused on solving the read and analytics issue at this point. We're not really interested or we're still interested, but like we're not prioritizing as much the the uh, the re or insert and all these other kind of trash compaction stuff for now.
2: Well, so we fully support writes. Um, Okay. Like, well, I mean, you can do inserts, uh, which is really useful, especially if you're like doing ETL from another system. Um into iceberg uh in event and we're working on support for uh delete and update and merge as well. So okay. we're gonna support like full uh data modification for um iceberg and hive tables. Got it. Uh what we don't support is uh like streaming ingest. Um that's something that like people are doing in Flink now a lot with um iceberg, and we don't support uh the like maintenance operations like compaction or garbage collection. Um currently you have to do those uh using Spark.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's good to so, know. So
1: a lot of people that will use Iceberg will also use Spark automatically?
2: Yeah, most people are are using both. Um, I mean, yeah. a common pattern, a lot of people do ETL with Spark and they like will read the data with Trino. Yeah. Um, but there's no reason that you can't do like all of the right operations with Trino. Um, Trino is very efficient at writing. Gotcha
0: yeah I think I think that and there's also another there's a couple of projects too like if you're if you're not if if you don't have spark I know of a, a company uh, in um, uh, I'm not gonna mention their name but they're they're in Can- they're based in Canada uh, and they uh, are using flink um, to do a lot of their ingest stuff uh, and so that is also another option if you are a Flink shop that uh, and, and is not and are not you don't have like Apache Spark sitting around. I know Flink is also another project that's pretty heavily involved in the in the Iceberg project as well. So so that that could be another good ETL type tool if if you uh, or I mean or if you are just using you know just want to use Trino and and it, uh, it's it's uh, you know uh, concise enough and you're just trying to move data around a little bit. Then I think you know it's just fine as long as you have a good um, a good uh, size cluster so cool um so so i think like that's the I, I, we can get into some specifics like uh there's this really neat i'll i'll talk about you know how they handle uh this hidden partitioning in fact actually david why don't you talk about what hidden partitioning is and then if, uh, if I have anything to add once you're done with this, cause this, this diagram just gives me chills of how cool it is, uh, of, of what it does and, and, and how, how this works. So why don't you go ahead and talk about kind of what hidden partitioning is and maybe contrast it with like, uh, uh, how the differences between how hive used to kind of the partitioning model with hive and then, and, and why this is so cool.
2: Yeah. So how partitioning works in hive is it's all value based partitioning. Um, typically it's done on a string column. You can do other data types, but uh, strings typically work best. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a uh, if you've, you've got a t- you've got a table, you've got like a timestamp and then you want to partition it um, by month as, as Brian previously mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the problem is um, you've got your times you've got your timestamp column in the table and then you have a separate month partition column. and when you insert the data, you actually have to write to both. And there's nothing in Hive that tells it that this timestamp column and the month partition are related. So users, when they're querying the table, they have to know that uh, they may be able to filter in both the timestamp column and the month partition column at the same time. Yep. And actually, there's nothing that because they're not tied together, they could actually mismatch. Like whoever wrote the data, maybe they, maybe they messed it up and it's actually a different month than the timestamp. And then like, who knows what's going on? Uh, and then now later, if you want to say, change that partitioning to date, well, now, uh, the timestamp column or the partition column is different. You have to change all of your queries. Now, instead of filtering on a month, you have to filter on the date partition column. Mm. So that that's a big pain. Uh, so it's not, so it's like, in addition to like having to rewrite all your data, like now you have to change all your queries as well, because like they're all referencing the partition column, um, in the old way. Yeah. So iceberg solves it is you just have your timestamp column in the table. And then partitioning is a function on top of a column. Mm -hmm. So iceberg has a, a month partitioning function or a date partitioning function, which will truncate the timestamp to a month or a date. And then we'll partition it based on the results of that function. So now users, they just write like a normal filter on the timestamp column. And then iceberg automatically figures out which partitions will match that filter. And so if you want to change how the partitioning works, you just change it and then the newly written data will will write using uh, the new partitioning and the old partition data is still there and you can read, you can continue reading the table. You don't have to change your queries. Um, everything just works.
0: Yep, it's super cool. So so for example, uh, query we have uh, in, in the show notes here is like select all from some table, some booking table, where date is greater than 2008, uh, so December 14th, 2008, and less than 2009 January 14th, so it's basically looking within a uh, a one month period that overlaps 2008 to 2009, and so uh, how they changed it in in, in this uh, theoretical like how they changed this um, uh, this partition spec and at the very basically i guess at at uh, midnight on on new year's day somebody some poor person was working <laughs> on and and updating the partition of their iceberg uh, table format uh, right when the ball dropped uh, for for new years so um so they update that to uh today maybe they by the way maybe that was also just you know a, a planned uh a cron job or something like that that was doing this uh let's let's assume that everybody got to s- celebrate their new years so anyways um uh, this thing runs at uh at uh, you know, before 2008, they were partitioning everything by month. But right as soon as 2009 hits, they start partitioning data by day. And so, um, so what would happen is you have these uh, these dates. So the, the like, say, the last two partitions are uh, 2008 November and 2008 uh, December. Are all the data is getting written into those month kind of partition uh, uh, um, locations. And then you uh, you then move on to day, and uh, as soon as it hits 2009, you're now partitioning by day. So uh, so Iceberg's smart enough to be able to do this, uh, and just by using this you know this this change of partitioning schema, it's totally separated those two concepts. Uh, whenever you're creating and updating the the table, and so you're just basically saying, hey, I got a new partition spec. Now we're going by day starting in 2009, and then. Uh, so now I have day, you know, two thousand nine, uh, January first, two thousand nine, January second, and each of those are individual files now. Um, and so now that these are, uh, sorry, individual partitions, and now that uh, I have this this kind of partitioning setup, when I do a query, um, let's say I'm asking for some time between, you know, December. Uh, December fourteenth and of two thousand eight, and December fourteenth of two thousand nine. Um, on on January first, I now only have to talk to the fir- the days one through uh, thirteen. Uh, because it's not an equal to. it's a it's a less than operation. I didn't notice that. So I only have to talk to days one through thirteen, uh, and that's these are you know only the days of separate partitions. And then I have to unfortunately, I have to do a little bit of waste. you know, I, I have to pull in the entire month of two thousand and eight December because I was going by the month partition at that point. But you know the fact that I'm able to query over one table and be able to have these two different partition schemes and icebergs just able to handle it, like, That for those that are coming from Hive, like maybe a tear is coming out of your eye right now. I don't know. (laughs) Like, but, but, uh, but for me, it's just like, it's so fantastic and and just takes care of so many problems that, that you would have had to do. I mean, this would have been, you know, maybe uh, a a couple days or weeks worth of work uh, to just get this thing migrated over, you know, and and just take out random little bits of your time while you're migrating all this data. And rather, rather than that, you, you now just, it works. <laughs> so as, as David said, um, another thing I thought inter- is really interesting. Oh, go ahead.
2: And, and for this example, like the, per- the switchover was done exactly at midnight, but you could actually switch it at any time. And mm-hmm. then you'll just have two partitions with uh, that, that both satisfy like that date range and iceberg will be smart enough to scan both of them. Yeah, it's so. it's a uh, it's the, you don't the, need to run a cron job at midnight. You just switch it <laughs> on anytime; New Year's. and it'll just work.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that's that's uh, that's fair fair point. I mean, this is just for the example so that you can talk about like two thousand eight versus two thousand nine, but but it's it's yeah, I mean you could do it in the middle of the day and H- iceberg's gonna iceberg's gonna get it. <laughs> so um so very cool stuff. Um the other thing I thought was really neat is uh there's, there are these concepts uh, for those coming from the high world. You know, you, you have your partitions, which you know dumps different files into buckets, and then you have uh, you have your uh, or sorry dumps different files into uh, directories, and then you have uh, you know your your buckets. Uh, this bucketing concept, which is basically how you split uh, your data up by file. And that's usually on a a separate um, value. And so um, do you want to talk a little bit about like what uh, the equivalence in in Iceberg and how you would achieve that same uh, type of functionality?
2: Yeah, so uh, bucketing in Iceberg is um, just part of partitioning because all partitioning is just a transformation function on top of a column. Mm -hmm. So like if you want to do this high value-based partitioning where like each different unique value goes into a different partition uh then you just don't have a function it's just partition on that column Um, things like month and day are like transforms of like a timestamp to to truncate it Mm -hmm. Uh, and then bucketing is a hash function you just use uh i think it's called bucket um identity Just say yeah identity is a value-based partitioning um uh, for bucketing i think it's i think it's the bucket function and then you just say bucket on this column and then this is how many buckets I want, and then it'll hash it and give you, you know, that many buckets. Yep. And then you can actually combine those uh, with, you can actually have multiple uh, partitioning columns or uh, partitioning uh, transforms mm-hmm. um, to get composite. So you could like bucket by, so you could like transform by day and bucket on one or more columns at the same time. Gotcha.
0: Very cool. So, uh, so yeah, so I mean. We we haven't even totally hit every single uh, cool aspect of, of iceberg, but I mean we we do got to move on. But you know the last thing we'll, we'll we'll touch on, and we we kind of mentioned before, was you know iceberg. Uh, one of the best things that they're doing on that that maybe hive hasn't done is that they they have this this thing called the spec, and it's you know it's a full specification about how things are being done in iceberg and you know and and there it's currently on version two do you want to just give a quick overview because we're, we're going to go into this in much more detail in the next uh show but uh do you want to just ta- kind of touch over what the spec is uh kind of serving and and why it's so great
2: yeah so uh the spec tells you exactly um like how the manifest files work how the snapshot stuff works um how how um, all the schema stuff works. Uh, how data is written into files, and then um, how you go from like the manifest files to how you find like which columns in the files on disk um, to read, and then like how all the partitioning works, like how exactly data types are represented. Um, like you should be able to read the Iceberg specification and write a full implementation um, that can read all your Iceberg data. Oh, well, that's what
1: we're essentially doing in Twino, right? Since yeah. we well, not fully, but like to some degree, we're using the iceberg libraries, I guess, to some degree, but
2: yeah. So we use the iceberg library to manage, um, like manifest files and snapshots. Um, we have our own code to, uh, implement the catalog implementation, which is like, uh, where, like the pointers are the pointers and the table names are stored in the metastore, Uh, and, um, then we have our own implementations of, uh, the file readers. And so, and like how it maps between like the metadata and the files on disc. So related Um, to the the
1: file readers, I have a question like before Brian was saying that the metadata files, they are Avro files. What about the data files? Are they just like work files or is there there a separate iceberg format or Uh,
2: So iceberg supports uh, work parquet and Avro um, as as data files Uh, typically like you uh, because users should always be writing data files through iceberg, um, either like in you know flink or spark or Trino uh you shouldn't actually have to care about like what kind of files you have on disk because like it's kind of a, a hidden implementation detail um iceberg also supports uh like migrations uh, from hive so if you've got like a whole bunch of like orc or parquet files you can basically just add iceberg metadata to convert the table from hive to iceberg
1: so what that um, would so- do is pull the metadata that's mostly in the hive metastore out and adapt it and write the meta files, the Iceberg files, is that mostly what it does?
2: Yeah, it's a combination of data in the Metastore, plus uh, I think it's got to read, like, the the footers of the files to read um, some more metadata that Iceberg needs. Um, but the important thing is that you don't have to go and rewrite all of your data files, because that can be a very expensive very process. Costly, yeah. Yeah. But in so general, was... users shouldn't need to worry about, like, worker or Parquet. And uh, in Trino, if you write data with Iceberg, we default to orc because work uh, is more efficient in Trino, because we have optimized readers and writers for it.
1: So so the reason, so uh, Trino related question, And um, we have the Hive connector that works with the Hive Metastore and all these different uh, data file formats. Now the Iceberg connector is a separate connector because it reads the Metastore from the Meta files versus working with the Hive Metastore. And but it uses the same classes for the paquet and avro and whatever read i'm guessing so it's sort of like a mixture between hive connector and, and like yeah but it stands on its own so
2: yeah it reuses a bunch of the like infrastructure library code from the hive connector um because things like uh, we have support for talking to hdfs over kerberos or the metastore over kerberos and like that stuff's all really complicated and like has worked well for years so it makes sense to reuse it for iceberg so that like, if you're running in a on-premise environment where you've got HDFS, like the iceberg connector is gonna work just the same as the Hive connector with all the same security options and whatnot. But it did make sense
1: to make it a separate connector because it's significantly different from say the Hive connector connecting to glue and reading S3 or Amazon or Azure storage or whatever that sort of stuff.
2: Yeah, the way um, part, like it's a different connector just kind of do how, uh, a lot and due to how like connector the connector API in Trino works because all the metadata is different all of the split handling is different um, like it's just it would be uh, it would be very difficult to add it into the hive connector. Yeah, no, a, I, how I do you like, is- like
1: personally, I like the fact that it's a separate connector, it makes it more explicit for an iceberg user to say, well, I'm using iceberg connector, obviously, right, like, yeah. so it's, 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 yeah. it's good,
2: I think. So. It, the Hive connector is, like, by far the most complex connector in Trino, like, it's probably an order of magnitude more complicated than, like, the next complicated connector. Uh, so you don't want to pile because, on top. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean because Hive like has all these different file formats, it has bucketing, it has like uh, acid, it has like all of these features and all of them are like just like all different it's just and it's like you, you know it, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of complexity just because like uh, Hive is complex. So, and it you,
1: evolved, right? So, yeah.
2: Yeah. So you just like have to have all this code to support all this stuff. And then like trying to jam even more features in there would just be make it worse. So yeah, having another connector is, is much cleaner.
1: And, and, and who could you like going over to the pull request of the week, where where the connector was added, who, who did that Brian and like,
0: yeah. So, um, so basically PR of the week, uh, this week, and by the way, the, uh, by, by the last question we, we were just talking about there, uh, that actually answers the question of the week. So <laughs> we, why, why are we still depending on the hive metastore metadata for iceberg? Uh, <laughs> well, we
1: can still expand it in detail because it is, we didn't, we sort of, so sort of like talk,
0: talk, touched, touched on stuff. it. Yeah. But we'll, we'll get, I guess, yeah, we'll, we'll do a, an official more answer later, but PR of the week, uh, PR 1067 uh, was added by Parth Brambat. <laughs> I'm hoping I did not butcher that Brambat, um, and uh, he is a senior software engineer at Netflix. Um, and basically, uh, he he did the initial uh, uh, iceberg, um, uh, the initial iceberg PR here. Uh, it was also reviewed by David. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I mean, what I'm actually kind of curious to know, like this got merged in. But then uh, there were so this was around like uh, release three eighteen, which was uh, which was in August 26, two thousand nineteen, and we didn't officially talk or like release officially or generally announce the um, the iceberg connector until I think three forty one, is this yeah add iceberg connector. So uh, so was that just kind of like uh, we did a, a slow progression of adding the iceberg connector uh, to, uh, to, to, um, to Trino. Is that basically the idea of what we were doing?
2: Yeah. Um, so, uh, Parth wrote the original connector at iceberg. Um, I worked with them, actually went to their office several times and like, we did a bunch of whiteboard sessions about like Mm. the internals of iceberg. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but it took a while to add like all the features and like all the tests so that we were confident in saying that like, this is something you could use in production. Um, and, uh, David Stryker joined, uh, Starburst, I don't know, around like June of last year. And, uh, that was the first project he worked on was like going and adding all of these features and tests to the iceberg connector to make it uh, production ready. Nice. And so then once we had that, you know, we said like, we we're confident that like, this is something like you can go and use. Cause the worst thing is that, you know you release a connector and like people are using it to write their data and they're getting in like they're writing bad data Yep. and then their users get incorrect results or they just lose data like yep. that's like pretty much the worst thing you can do so you know so yeah the a- was there people were using it but like we weren't confident to say that like this thing is really solid
0: yeah so it was it was mainly there i think for just kind of iteration made like you know so that you weren't having this giant PR drag along like for, for a whole year. I and mean, it was a little over a year th- until we actually, uh, did get to get the release, uh, from the time that this got initially, uh, merged in. So, so yeah, I, I was just, I, I figured that was the case, but I just wanted to be very, very clear. Like that was, uh, that was where we're at. And I also noticed, uh, Ryan, uh, is also very active in a lot of these, uh, iceberg code reviews. So that's, that's pretty neat that, uh, you know, we got folks from Iceberg that are, are super uh, involved in uh, Iceberg. I think Ryan Rupp is also a contributor now. He just became a contributor recently. I saw that,
2: so. Yeah, and we actually have had um, a lot of contributions from um, other people on Iceberg as well. Uh, cool, and so, that, like, that was another reason to get the initial version of the connector, and even though like it wasn't really production ready is that we could have other people like work on it, try it out, yeah, send in patches.
0: Have you, uh, have you or anybody else from Trino community, as far as you know, uh, have we contributed anything back to iceberg yet?
2: Uh, I might've sent like a PR or two for minor things, but, okay. uh, well, I wish David I had more found time the time, the time the issue, iceberg right. <laughs> project.
0: That's true. Yeah. We did find the time issue. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. That's definitely cool. Yeah. So I guess we, we have, uh, based on like things that we run into, we've, we've probably contributed back at least, you know, at least complaints (laughs) so very cool um all right so uh so yeah so thank you very much parth uh for for that work as well as you david uh now now we get the the background that you guys were were hanging out at was it in netflix or was it at uh your office or or your it was at netflix okay cool um so yeah back when
2: you could go to people's offices (laughs) (laughs) back back in the old we will get back there don't worry
0: (laughs) one day mask and rick scene off you go so i tried to get a demo pulled together for this with snapshots and all this other cool stuff i have a basic little demo that i want to run through uh and it kind of conveys one of the issues uh that we that we saw and um basically uh if you want to run this and kind of get a little um Iceberg, uh, playground for yourself. Uh, you can clone this uh, repository that I, I'll have in the show notes. It's a Trino getting started repository that I'm, I'm working on. And so you just got to clone that, go to, uh, Iceberg, Trino, Iceberg, MinIO. Um, and you basically can pull up this Docker, uh, Docker compose, uh, file and it will pull up four little containers. Uh, one's going to be MinIO. Um, one's going to be um trino and then just a trino coordinator by itself and then you're gonna we're, i have a locally running uh hive meta store that is backed by M- uh, mario so um so basically what i want to convey here is uh um the other the other project that is underneath here so this is my here, let me just minimize all this. This is my Trino getting started um, uh, repository cloned down. And if you go into Iceberg, there's two uh, little sub uh, projects. It's the Trino Iceberg MinIO uh, segment that, um, or, or or directory that has the Docker Compose stuff, and you can pull that up there. Um, and then the uh, another one called Iceberg Java. And so one of the things I thought would be cool, like it's, you know, when, when, when you're learning about technologies like iceberg, it's, I thought it'd be cool to have a little playground where you can kind of, uh, toy around with, um, you know, writing and kind of using the, the Java API that iceberg, uh, exposes so that you can kind of just get a small little gist of, or view into the world of, uh, of, of what, uh, what we're implementing full scale at, uh, in the iceberg connector. Uh, and it just gets, a, it's a good learning tool, I think to, to understand this stuff. So they have some examples uh, that I pulled off of the Iceberg website uh, that they showcase. If you go to the Iceberg website too, if you want to check these out yourself, uh, go to API and then go to Java API intro. Uh, they have these examples that I basically just pulled off here. This one's scan. I think there's also another one called quick start Java. Java quick start. You go to those, they, they have these basic like simple uh, things that you can have set up. And you, you just got to set up like based on the local configuration. So when you're running this, uh, we wanted to connect, um, have the configuration basically connect to our local running MinIO. So all that's already set up in this project, and then you can just basically run this main, main value. So in the, in the, um, in this, uh, demo, uh, so far anyways, um, we, we point, uh, the Hadoop configure or the hive catalog to point to. Uh, Basically, our metastore, we point it to um, uh, min.io. So this is basically just uh, allowing us to write files there if we need to. And basically, we uh, then start doing all the stuff with Iceberg. So we create a hive catalog. We create a schema. So this is actually, you know, the the schema, and this is what I wanted to be able to show you the schema evolution stuff. I will get this. I, I promise I will get this working by the next show, so that we can uh, uh, showcase a little bit of stuff. But there's some stuff with the uh, snapshotting that I need to get figured out. Um, so basically, we'll create a schema. Uh, it's going to have uh, a field that is uh, is a string, um, a field that's a time zone with uh, a timestamp with time zone a uh, field that's another string, and then a list of uh, an array of of strings. Um, and basically, uh, we'll take the schema, use that for the partition spec. Uh, and so this partition spec will, will basically verify that we're using actual fields that are coming from the schema and make sure those align correctly. And then uh, we'll make a table identifier. We're going to call this table identifier logging, which would be you know, in, in, Trino land, this is going to be your schema and then logs is going to be your actual table. Um, and then you, uh, uh, you can, you know, we'll basically say if the table already exists using this named identifier, then we'll load the table. Uh, otherwise we want to actually create the table using the schema and the spec um here's my current ongoing work with the snapshots that i ran into uh found out that uh, i need to have an initial snapshot and i think i may know what's going on there um but uh anyways all we want to do is basically just print out that this gets created so before i do that let's go into that would
1: be equivalent to Connecting trino and doing a create table right into the iceberg. catalog.
0: Yep, exactly. That would just be, uh, in some part of the code, we, we do this setup and, uh, and the one part that I'm missing right now is the part that actually creates the first snapshot by, and writing some of the initial, uh, meta, um, uh, the initial, um, manifest files, um, with, with an empty, with basically an empty table. So, what we can do here, I'm going to cheat a little bit by using Trino to set up a couple of the things for us here. But if we uh, if we show well the... for a
1: normal user, that's the easier way to do it, right? <laughs> it is the easier <laughs> way to do it.
0: <laughs> so uh, so let's go ahead and uh, do a refresh. So we have this iceberg uh, set up here, and oh, I did not delete this. No, my my. Uh, let me. I thought that. I had removed, oh, I didn't remove the schema. So let me see about dropping the schema so I can go from scratch. Drop schema, iceberg.logging. Yes. And I see you using DBeaver there to connect
1: with the Neutrino connector. I right? am.
0: Thank you very much uh, for that that uh, contribution Manfred for making Trino available from DBeaver. <laughs> yeah,
1: we're getting more other tools happening as well. I think recently someone reached out SQLPad is supporting it. Of course, Apache Superset is supporting
2: it. Yep, we did that. Lots
1: of other tools are are working on it as well. I looked into Metabase, but it's a bit of a taller climb there diving into Clojure and stuff
0: like that. So. So
1: we've, we'll see how we get there.
0: We've now removed uh, all this information from here, and also in our MetaStore. Uh, so, David, is it is it true that like the only place that we use right now in MetaStore is this table params uh, uh, val- file right here, or this table params table?
2: I actually never dig into the internal database of the metastore, so I couldn't tell you.
0: Okay, I know we get so there are updates that happen to the other tables, the traditional like D- DBS and stuff like that. But as far as I can tell, if I if I update things in this uh, table right here, this actually is the only. Uh, thing that has any effect on how Trino interacts with it. So I, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe there are areas where we use other tables in the Metastore. But as far as I can tell, this this was the main uh, area or the main table that we're using, this table underscore params. So, um, so let's create the schema first. I lost my... D, I lost dBeaver. <laughs> um, let's create the schema first. So this is going to basically uh, under Iceberg. Um, and by the way, this... Uh, I have this catalog by default here because I pointed the. Where did I point the iceberg to? I thought it was in this configuration somewhere, but maybe it's not in this configuration. There's, uh, I think, oh no, it is underneath the schema. So I have to specify the bucket first. And then I have to specify the actual location where I'm going to be storing schema. So I could actually uh, forego putting this logging DB as the sch- as a schema location. But for now, I'm just going to keep it, create schema. And that should create either at least the table. Yeah, there we go, logging DB, but nothing inside of it yet. So now we're going to go and uh, simply create. Now that the schema is created and that location created, we can now run this, uh, run this main main uh, uh, setup here. And it's gonna basically look for um, a, a schema called logging, and then it's gonna write a table to that. So let's go ahead and run that. And hopefully nothing breaks. So we should see this little table info thing pop up. Cool. So. Uh, In this table, we basically have the name, which is hive logging logs, uh, and then the schema uh, for that, and the uh, location is under iceberg logging db logs, and then uh, the partition spec is also saved here. And all of this information is uh, something that gets pulled back from from the manifest. So this was, to be very clear, done in the Java API, not in Trino. So... um, so now we have this uh, location called logs. We have this metadata uh, section and we have this metadata.json. So um, we could pull it down, but uh, we're kind of running low on time. So uh, we'll inspect those on the when I get the full flesh demo next time. Um, so, so yeah, so basically uh, now that we've created this, we should hypothetically be able to read this uh, from Trino. So let's go ahead and do this select all from, or actually let's first just verify Uh, show the tables uh, under iceberg.logging. And it's really strange. Now we don't see this logs uh, table show up. And if I run select all from logging logs, I get a a, uh, response saying no value is present um, at this location. So that's strange. Um, Or if I actually, maybe it wasn't that. I think that's a whole separate issue that has to do with the snapshot thing. So i get this create table but yet i don't see it showing up in, in show tables so the um the issue here was actually um a bug here let me what am i looking for I'm looking for this link uh, at the bottom of our show notes so this link here this uh, issue here that's getting solved so when a ta- when an iceberg table is uh uh basically getting omitted whenever you do show tables uh and that's due to uh, as very particular way that they're storing this table type in iceberg. And I'm not sure if this, uh, affects anything else, but this was one of those strange things. I was like, wow, it's really strange that this isn't showing up. So if we refresh now, um, this table params value, the values have been written here and you have this table type, uh, with all caps iceberg. And so uh, in this PR that we've had, uh, PR 1592, uh, this is uh, being um, uh, currently looked at a whole bunch of stuff by uh, Jingwan Lin, and I think he, where's he from? He is, I can't remember if he's from Netflix or if he's from another, he's from-
2: Uh, He was was at LinkedIn and he's now at Apple.
0: Oh, cool. So so yeah, so he's taking a look into this and uh, it's basically uh, some- something that hasn't been quite documented. And again, this is where like, you know, these technical specifications probably don't uh, necessarily belong in the spec, but it's kind of like one of those things that, you know, if it's how it's implemented, it needs to be some at least shown somewhere that this is how it's done and in, in, uh, using the Java API for, for Iceberg. But it basically writes uh, from Spark or from Flink or from uh, any or from the Java API, it'll, they'll write this table type entry as all caps. And the default entry uh, is actually not in all caps, it's in lowercase. And so uh, Trino has uh, basically u- utilized that lowercase uh, setup without doing a, a two uppercase. So, um, oh, unfortunately this is not currently working. Uh, I'm thinking this was done before we did the rebrand, so <laughs> that link is broken. But uh, but yeah, basically we're we're utilizing, um, uh, I think this one should work, though. this is to iceberg. So there they have, uh, yeah, right here. So they 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 call this to uppercase, uh, whereas we don't do that. We just use the regular default value type that is uh, supported in an iceberg so uh, so that's something that I think is a you know, very easy fix, but uh, it's just a PR that we're looking into and make sure it has no other adverse side effects. So the way to fix this for now uh, if if you're if you're come across this, you make this lowercase and then you you just uh, submit that. so um, uh, let's. There's a way to run this. Uh, Or here we go, save. So now that that's done, we should be able to see. um, Oh, again, still in dBeaver. We should be able to now see that uh, logs shows up in show tables now. So just like... uh, Uh, still things that are coming along with when it comes to this connector, like there's, there's no like breaking change or any, like, you know, things that I've, I've seen so far, but there is still quite a bit of like kind of future work that, that, you know, with small things that you'll, you'll notice here and there when you're, when you're kind of jumping into this. Uh, so, You know, I would say, uh, just kind of make sure you do a valid, like, you know, proof of concept and things as you're moving things over, if you're considering to kind of take on iceberg, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, very mature and definitely has a lot of the features that you'll want. You just want to make sure that, uh, you know, if there's, uh, any gotchas in your particular use case before you go all the way. And there's also an issue I wanted to point out. One last issue is issue one, three, two, four, which is also, um, uh, handled by, uh, Jin- Jin Wan, And it's, uh, a to-do for the iceberg connector. So a lot of these checked off, but there's still a couple that aren't and, and things that, uh, you may want to be aware of that, uh, are, are still in the works, but, um, definitely really cool stuff. So, uh, with that, uh, I think we have time. Do we want to just, uh, do, um, question of the week real fast, uh, uh, Manfred and we'll, um, I think this is uh, something in particular we can kind of just continue our our conversation with David and around um, you know this uh, this pull request by Jackie. I wanted to point this out as to okay, we kind of have an understanding of why we use Hive Metastore. You know, it's very well battle tested and all this stuff. But but you know, are there are we kind of moving away from that? And I, I I've seen well, what's,
1: what? So what is currently happening? From what I understand, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong the Iceberg connector still does need the Hive Metastore, mm-hmm. but nearly all of the metadata is actually, or maybe even all of it is in the meta format files. And in the Ice in the Hive Metastore, there's only a little pointer over to the locations and that's it, is that kind of correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct. So the only thing that, it, that you get from the Iceberg, it, sorry, the only thing that Iceberg gets from the Metastore is the list of table names and the pointer to the location of the metadata file or the the, the manifest list file, yep. or maybe call it the snapshot file. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's actually um, alternate implementations of, um, Iceberg calls that the catalog service or the catalog store. Uh, oh, okay. The Iceberg project itself has a bunch of different implementations. Like you can imagine, like just store them in like a MySQL database or you know, something like that. Um, and uh, that PR is about basically making that pluggable in Trino so that we can support different catalog backends. But the main reason that we um, started off with Metastore support is people already have a Hive Metastore, they already have Hive tables in there and they wanna do a slow, like they wanna do an incremental migration from Hive to iceberg. And so it makes sense to keep all the, like to continue using the Metastore to store your, uh, your, your iceberg table list. But if you're starting off on just using Iceberg, you didn't have Hive, um, you you wouldn't want to bother with the Hive, metastory. you'd want something simpler. And that's what that PR is going to solve.
1: So in the future, there could be something where you don't even need a database maybe and don't have to futz around with running yet another server that runs some database.
2: Yeah, Iceberg actually has an implementation that uses uh, the file system itself. Um, but I believe that only works on like HDFS because it requires some uh, like atomic semantics mm-hmm. that don't exist on cloud storage file yeah. systems like S3. Got it. Okay.
0: So we'd probably want to do maybe more of the something that just actually stores into some pluggable database or data store. Yep. Cool. All right. Um, well, uh, that's pretty much all I had. I mean, did you have anything else you wanted to add, uh, David, before we we hop off? Well, we're not
1: hopping off, Brian. We have to do the tipping. Oh. We promised that.
0: Sorry, but we, we promised that. Yes, that's right. Okay. Well, you know, we're going to go on to just just a second longer. So, okay. So this was submitted to us by Ali and, and she does like such incredible artistic work. But, uh, you know, when, uh, when I I, and I had no idea about this, but like, when I saw this, I was just like, great, this is perfect. You know, like a cu- cute little bunny on an, on an iceberg. What could go wrong? Um, I found out uh, through a couple of the uh, nerds here at Starburst, uh, including Manfred, and, and as well as his uh, uh, Barton. Barton uh, his... Barton
1: brought us this simulator. So props for finding that. <laughs> yes. really Awesome.
0: So this comes from like a tweet from uh, I guess uh, a, a super iceberg nerd, uh, real iceberg nerd, um, not not an Apache iceberg nerd. Um, and she basically talks about how uh, icebergs are commonly misrepresented in scientific literature uh, and and. Mis- Drawn or basically mis miss, uh, uh drawn and in, in, uh, all these just, not just scientific but as well as like artistic uh, type of uh, feats. So a lot of times they'll show kind of what we did here, <laughs> where uh, uh, with uh, with Commander Bun Bun, where he's just sitting on uh, on top of this very so long so we, and pointy... we go, we're
1: gonna do a little competition now. So yeah. Bright is gonna attempt to draw the iceberg iceberg uh, iceberg and see how it floats. Yeah, and then he's gonna draw the Trino iceberg and see if the bunny keeps floating or not. So, so let's, show, show, show the iceberg logo maybe. Iceberg
0: logo, yeah. Let's go uh, there. So if we go to, I think, front page, yeah, here we go. So it's yeah. it's uh, kind of maybe more of an arrowhead, kind of up, upside down arrowhead type, type yeah, shape. Mostly underwater. So yeah, mostly underwater. So we're going to try to do that. Uh, and we'll, we'll do a little bit of jaggediness and things like that. And uh, that you know that's pretty much what you'd expect, right? It's kind of uh, sitting there floating yeah, and f-
1: floats pretty good. So the iceberg, the iceberg dudes know what they're doing with their with the iceberg. I think it looks like. So
0: let's go ahead and and just pick. You know, you could picture uh, a little Commander Bun Bun Penguin on top of there. So we'll try to do the same one. This one's more of like, uh, I guess like a. a Conehead, cone head is <laughs> <as> the best <laughs> way I could describe it <laughs> type shape. So let's see what happens. So, you know, we have this kind of structure and Commander Bun-Bun's just sitting there on the top. Oh, no. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's, good. he's still, still okay, but, uh, oh. Oh, okay. I think
1: that water's getting kind of cold. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's falling in. <laughs>
0: so... Uh, I don't know. So Commander Bunma could technically have walked around with as slow as this one's going. I mean, just keep walking yeah, up yeah, and run. Yeah.
1: I guess he's a fast bunny, but he's I, also I Have a to give fast props bunny. to the iceberg team. I think <laughs> their iceberg is a bit better than ours.
0: I mean, I, this one practically flipped all the way over. So, <laughs> so, anyways, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, our our iceberg is uh, is is a little off par here in terms of its scientific accuracy. But I think for the the purpose of it being this cute little bunny wearing a penguin suit. It, it, it I guess maybe that's it. why it's is
1: wearing a green suits. Yeah, jump in, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Keeps him warm. Uh, so, uh, okay, one last thing I needed to talk about before we hopped off is we have uh, some new meetup groups that we have set up. Uh, we've had actually a couple of local meetup groups that have been around for a while, but they happened, uh, or they were opened up uh, a, a short while uh, right before COVID hit. So we really haven't been using them. Um, so, so we have, uh, now opened up these virtual meetup groups, um, and we will link them in the show notes. Uh, and we have our inaugural, uh, since the rebrand, uh, our inaugural, uh, America's Trino meetup, as well as, um, the other virtual meetups are, are in, uh, all separated by time zone. We have, uh, uh locations in EMEA, we have locations in in um, and, uh, and, and APAC as well in Asia Pacific. So we, I basically wanted to have these to kind of uh, start us out during this this time where we're not able to meet face-to-face and give uh, uh, an ability for people who really just don't have the ability to uh, be online all the time for us to kind of start putting out uh, different events that are virtual in nature and, and uh, kind of be a meeting point for uh, a community, basically a sub-community uh, outside of just our Slack community where you can meet based on time zone region and we can actually, you know, do these uh, meetups for you so so we have americas we have apac uh, if you if you want to look at it, its meetup.com uh trino dash americas um forward slash trino dash americas uh amea you just take americas off trino dash which is you know all of europe and kind of uh some part portion of russia and uh some portion of uh uh and uh, in africa as well and then you take off uh the uh the last one which is apac and this one's going to be kind of India, China, and and uh, and, and we're all doing we're, we're doing these uh, events for each one of these time zones. Um, the in this particular case, in the inaugural meetup, we're we're doing uh, kind of EMEA and APAC using the same uh, uh, the same meetup, but so it'll be a little early for EMEA, it'll be a little late for APAC, but it's it's going to be a very uh, doable time, and so. Uh, so I wanted to tell you guys about this uh, coming up. It's going to be April 21st. Uh, if you're in the Americas, it's going to be 5.30 p.m. your time. If you're in uh, EMEA, it's going to be 3 p.m. your time. And then if you are in APAC uh, time zone, it's going to be 3, 3 p.m. Uh, and this is, by the way, in, uh, in India's standard time. Um, so uh, And the EMEA one was uh, uh, GMT plus uh, CEST, Central European Summertime. Time. I think is what that one is. Oh yeah, should it be standard time as well. So so, uh, anyways, go go sign up. Uh, check out this these things. It's all going to be on April twenty uh, first. Uh, Martin, Dane, David, and Eric are going to be joining us and uh, basically giving us an update on on Trino. Uh, not, not like you don't get enough updates from us, but uh, but they'll be doing a much better job at giving updates. <laughs> and um, and then we're going to have a hangout afterwards. We're also got a couple really neat things. Uh, we're going to be trying to give out some of these cool shirts that David and I are wearing. Um, as well as uh, some other swag with uh, these uh, fun little uh, stickers. So look forward to that. And, uh, and then we also have a couple cool announcements coming that, uh, that way, which I'm not sure if we're gonna announce before then or not, but for right now we're gonna keep it under wraps. So look forward to that and, and please come join our, our uh, virtual meetups for now. And uh, you know, hopefully at some point, when we do get to do face-to-face, we'll be able to utilize our, our other meetup groups. So, uh, Mar- Manfred, do you have anything outside of that uh, before we... The explosion. Oh.
1: No, uh, I think it was, it was excellent. Thanks, David, for joining us. Uh, anything you wanted to mention? No. Cool. Cool. Well, two weeks time. Release 355 maybe out by then. We'll see.
0: <laughs> for sure. All right. And uh, thanks, everyone, for joining. And uh, music for the show is provided by Mega Man 6 gameplay album by Christoph Slavikowski. Have a good one, everyone.